Page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. to Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, of course, is the world's first podcast that I host. I'm excited about today's episode. It's our first episode of the new year. 2022 is here, and I hope that January has been kind to you. I was hoping to get an episode out earlier in the month, but things have been a little busy for me, and uh, so this is kind of as soon as I could get one out, and I'm excited to be sharing it with you because today's guest is the fantastic Jacqueline DeForge. Uh, her book, Danger Flower, is awesome. It's out now with Palimpsest, and it's the subject of today's interview. I really enjoyed the book, and I really enjoyed chatting with Jacqueline about all things poetry. Uh, we talked about, you know, kind of well, a lot of different things and a lot of my anxieties around writing poems and, uh, you know, all the typical stuff, but also some fun sort of specific things to today's episode that I won't spoil. I'll let you listen in. Um, but before we jump into the episode, if you're wondering who Jacqueline is, let me tell you. Jacqueline DeForge is the author of Danger Flower with Palimpsest Press slash Anstruther Books. Just came out last year, um, kind of at the end of last year. One of CBC's picks for the best Canadian poetry of 2021. She's also the author of a picture book, Why Are You So Quiet?, which came out with Anique Press in 2020 and was nominated for a Chocolate Lily Award. Jacqueline is a Pushcart-nominated writer and the winner of the 2018 RBC slash PEN Canada New Voices Award, two 2019 Short Works Prizes, and a 2020 Hamilton Emerging Artist Award for Writing. She is an MFA candidate at the University of British Columbia's School of Creative Writing and lives in Hamilton with her partner and daughter. Here I am chatting with Jacqueline DeForge. So, first episode of 2022. I guess I didn't tell you, Jacqueline, that this is you're my first guest of the year. Um, so, <laughs> now oh, you I'm know. Honored. Um, Oh, I'm very, I'm very glad to have you here. For those of you listening, to give you some context, this is Jacqueline DeForge. Uh, I hope I got your name right. I didn't ask how to pronounce it before we started recording. That's honestly, that's pretty close. That's good. Yeah, DeForge. Just pretend there's no S's and you're good. Okay, cool. I'll I'll roll with that. Um, so Jacqueline DeForge is here, uh, talking about her book Danger Flower. I'm very excited to talk about this book. Uh, it's out now with Palimpsest Press, uh, whose work I love. I've talked to a number of Palimpsest authors on the show, um, and this was no exception. I really love this book, and I'm so excited to jump into it. I have a bunch of questions for you, and we'll talk about all sorts of things related to the book and poetry, and maybe even the new year. Who knows? But before we do all of that. Jacqueline, could I ask you to read us a piece from the book so we can get acquainted with your work? Absolutely. Um, the first poem that I'm going to read today is called Pony Closet. It's in the first section of the book. Pony Closet. All the guests are here and also fruitcake, which arrived alone in a minivan. The potpourri has been refreshed. Ice cream is melting on the front steps. Everyone's feet are sticky. 
Everyone's fingernails are picking at apple skins. The games we play help prepare us for the future. When I slip into the closet to play with plastic horses, nobody notices. I like the smell of dust on carpet. Today is my day, my pony closet, quiet day. I'm so lucky. God's looking at me straight today. Yesterday was my brother's day and the sky filled up with lightning. At least the lawn has that green smell now. So the worms are happy here. Uh, so often this happens on the show where an author starts off the interview on a great note. You could read any poem from from this book and it would be a great note, but you happen to read one of my favorites and I love when that happens. Um, oh, it's one of the ones that I had that I had bookmarked. So uh, what a great way to start the show. Um, Jacqueline, could you tell us a little bit about your book? Um, obviously, you address a number of themes and things in here, but if the reader isn't sure of like what this book is about, what are these poems going to address? What would you tell them? For sure. Um, I like to describe my book as uh, a walk through kind of a weird, creepy garden that's gonna that's gonna set you on edge a little bit. But then there's also really nice things in there too, and there's deer and stuff, and there's poison ivy, so you should watch out. Um, but yeah, basically, I think that's that's kind of the experience I want people to have as they read it, whether they're familiar with poetry or less familiar with it. Um, I touch on a lot of different topics in the book, ranging from motherhood, especially early motherhood, because I wrote this book um, after my daughter was born and in the years following her birth, um, and also sexuality and art and uh, animals and nature and spirituality and seeking and longing and bodies and all sorts of things that were running through my head over the past five years or so. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that being the case. I really like this idea of the garden. It fits really well, both with the design of the book. We have flowers on the cover and the sections are named after flowers. I believe all of them are. Am I right in that? Yeah. And they're all, yeah. they're all poisonous in some fashion, I think. Wait, really? Is baby's <laughs> breath poisonous? Wait, no, no, it's not. Um, okay. Just, <laughs> they're all a little bit dangerous. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay, so that makes more sense. So, okay, then that even fits this this idea a little bit better. I, I really like the way you described the book here because um, I certainly felt this way. I, I felt like uh, I didn't really connect it to a garden necessarily right away, but I do like the idea of walking through this book, finding different things that you admire, finding things that maybe make you feel a little unsettled at times. Um, there there tends to be these elements. And so um, you're jumping from theme to theme in here. There, there's, there's quite a bit packed into this book um, that I really enjoy because I felt like every time I turned the page, I didn't know what I was going to get, uh, which is one of my favorite feelings when I read poetry, although knowing is sometimes helpful too. Um, and it's not like I had no idea, but it was a fun surprise whenever I turned the page. Um, I wanted to know, did you kind of have any um, method or strategy when you were thinking of ordering these poems? Because as I say, they do jump quite a bit from theme to theme, although there is a lot that continues throughout as well. For sure. So I... I split the book into these four sections um, that sort of reflect, I was thinking of the sections in terms of seasons, like both in terms of physical reality and also in terms of like the energetic seasons of our lives. Um, and so the first section, there are, are a lot of poems in there that are about, that have sort of like that, that child's voice that was in Pony Closet. 
mm-hmm. um, and some of the poems like they they touch on a lot of different themes and they connect to themes that appear later in the book but um, then I've got the baby's breath section which includes a lot of motherhood poems um, and then wolf's bane which is a section that is a lot about sexuality and um, there's some political stuff and um, it's a, it's a lot more about like finding sort of individuality um, in terms of um, you know especially when you're when you're immersed in motherhood right um, and then Lazarus Bell the final section there's it, it really has to do with like self relationship relationship to self and um, moving forward and and growing and changing um, and then also linking back to those those childhood poems again. Yeah, so so I really like this, and and I think this is maybe why um, that fourth section, the final section, really resonated with me is that I've been doing a lot of writing and thinking about. Um, let's call it growth, although perhaps sometimes it's more of a change and less a growth. I don't know. But but moving through experiences that can be difficult or traumatic or even just thinking back through childhood is something I do a lot in my work, uh, especially in the recent stuff that I've been trying to write. And I really admired the way that you tackled these sorts of things. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you related to that is just, you know, when you're writing a poem on a difficult topic from a long time ago, how do you approach writing that poem? How do you get back into that headspace? And how do you do it without putting yourself at risk of re-experiencing everything that you, you know, went through in that time that you're writing about in the poem? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a real it's a real concern. You know, I, I don't want to um, I don't want to end up causing myself like unnecessary distress while at the same time I do want to I want to to dig into those memories and those experiences and have them fuel my writing. But luckily enough, if any, if anything in my life is too fresh or hasn't been processed already, it doesn't, it doesn't quite like sink into my, um, to my unconscious mind. And so much Mm. of this book I think is the, is about the relationship between myself and my own inner world and my, my own, unconsciousness, my subconsciousness. Um, so what ends up happening is I never, I never intend to write about a specific traumatic memory. It's more like I get myself into a state through meditation or whatever of like, of being peaceful, at least and in touch with what is going on with myself internally. And then I wait for images and sensory memories to arise. And I write those really freely. Um, And then the way the poem emerges from that is, is to like, to take the sort of, to take what came up without thinking, and then to figure out what, where each of the lines belong, which again, is a very intuitive process. Um, So I would say that luckily enough for me, like my, my process sort of works around any sort any sort of um like re-experiencing of of difficult times um but I also really see approaching trauma and um and and growth like you said personal growth like I consider that to be part of my artistic practice sort of the core of my artistic practice I don't know if I could be an artist without doing that kind of work on myself 
Yeah, and and so okay, this is maybe where I I'm going with my next question, which is a bigger question, and I apologize if it's really difficult to answer because I'm only asking this question since I don't have an answer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I wonder what draws you know I I see my my writing what I'm trying to do in my poetry and my writing um, as aligning in many cases with with what you're doing in your work and and aspiring in fact to what you're doing in your work in most cases um, and I wonder what like maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, but what draws us to write this kind of work? Do you know what I mean? I mean, like mm-hmm. when we're, when we're writing through such difficult experiences at, at times, yes, there is an element of re-experiencing, but I agree with you that at least in my work, I, I'm shooting to not necessarily re-experience, but rethink through these things. I'm just wondering what, what kind of draws you to doing this sort of work in your artistic practice? That's a really great question. Um, It gives me a lot to think about, but what popped into my head as you were asking is, is just the idea of, it it feels to me like a, like a psychic drive, you know, like hunger, like there's no, um, which is sort of a bodily drive, but, but it feels like a, a, it feels like the experiences themselves are not something, they're not a thing until they are until they are truly witnessed, like, like I can have something happen to me in the real world, but it doesn't feel real to me until I've reflected on it. And part of that reflection is like, is I think, I think it happens unconsciously over a period of years. And then it, it's like, it's going through this magical factory in the lower part of my brain and will eventually emerge again you know, as something that is creative. And there's something really um, alchemical and magical about the way that humans are drawn to taking the, the meat of our experiences and processing it into something that can communicate the, the lesson of that experience to others. And especially Mm. with poetry, because poetry Poetry has the capacity to, to, to sneak wisdom past our defenses in a way because ideally we're writing in such a way that's very fresh and there's no cliches, there's no convincing. It's just, it is what it is. It's, 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 it's beautiful and it's made out of something that could have been terrible maybe or wonderful. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I think there's something, I agree, there's something really... I can't find the word for it, but there's something very comforting or perhaps uh, even useful would be a good word for it that, that comes from being able to name experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what I, I at least am shooting towards. And I think that's something that I really appreciated in your work was, was the ability in which, you know, you talked about avoiding cliche. I feel like you avoid cliche very well. Uh, like the words that you're using to describe these experiences and the things that you're talking about are original and fresh and a, a really new perspective. And I think that's sort of, you know, what, what at least draws me to reading work like this is finding out how people see the experiences that they've lived through in new ways of describing them. I mean, I mean, that's what poetry is for, for a lot of people. Um, but I, I found that so, so interesting in your work. And, and another thing I wanted to ask about kind of jumping off to another subject here, but um, was bodies, because you talk a lot about the body in this book, I, I think, especially in that last section, um, but, but throughout the text as well. I was interested in sort of, you know, we talked about these experiences that we're, that we're writing about and 
you know, the way that they form ourselves. But that self is always sort of needing to be reconciled with, with the body. There, there's sort of like a tension there that I think you really touched on uh, very efficiently and, and and very interestingly in your work. So I was wondering if I could just ask you a little bit about how you sort of conceptualize or view this relationship between self and body, both in the book and beyond. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting to think back about it now. Um, but looking at the book as kind of a, it's, it's sort of like a catalog of my inner life, but then it, you can't talk about your inner life without also talking about your outer life, I think, and, and the way that people react to you. And I'm glad that I wrote this book partially because um, it means that I got to make notes about the wild experience of going through, you know, going from being uh, an adolescent to a young adult to a mother. I had my mm -hmm. daughter at 25 and it was really a roller coaster. Um, you know, it, it's not, it wasn't that many years in between me being a teenager and me being a mother and to go through that time and have, and to be seen so radically differently, like to be, to have experienced so much sexual harassment and, and stuff growing up in a, in a small town with problems. Um, and then to end up like being a mother, pushing a stroller around and being invisible in some way, you know, there, there is a, there's a tension between like hyper visibility and, and invisibility in the book, I think. Mm. And that I, was I, very much like what my experience was. Yes. I, so, okay. So that's, that's really interesting. I mean, of course, when we write something, I think it's hard at times to avoid uh, having what's written or created in any artistic practice reflect what's actually going on in, in one's world, if not the world. Um, but I, I find this super interesting. And also I find it hard to, uh, to imagine what that experience is like. I mean, I'm 24, so I, I'm just a year younger than you would have been when you had a child. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine at my stage in my life right now, uh, how world changing in so many ways that experience must be. Uh, and it actually, that, that really helps me build a new perspective on a lot of these poems too. Uh, it's interesting to think through, you know, how age might, might play a role in that. And, and, you know, I think about a lot too, and actually in my writing, I think a lot about kind of being between a teenager and an adult is a really weird space that I guess I currently occupy. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, you don't fully know where you are and uh, what you're talking about in terms of visibility and invisibility and the idea of something inner and outer uh, really resonates with me. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Um, I, I do have a question for you that is completely unrelated to mm. what we're doing, but I'm asking it because it's not my question. It's a question from my last episode's guest. Okay. Um, so Nolan Natasha, wonderful poet, is wondering what role, if any, a pencil and paper plays in your writing practice? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, very little. Okay. I was born in 1988. 
and mm-hmm. I have very terrible handwriting. I was in the generation, <laughs> I think it was like the first generation of, of elementary school students where they, they were like, no, you, you guys don't need to use a pencil or <laughs> you guys don't mm. need to write things down. It's fine. So I never learned how to write properly. So I read a lot of, a lot of the time the advice about writing is write things, you know, it's so much easier because it's more natural and you're, and you're using your pen or using your pencil, you're writing on pen and paper. But I find for me, strangely enough, the most natural way to write that doesn't get me all like freaked out and, and having difficulty being creative is to write on the notes app on my iPhone. Um, mm. And that's how I started writing creatively really is, is after my daughter was born and I was up all night with her I, every night I would just like, I would write down a few sentences here or there in my notes app. And so even now that's where I go for my first drafts. Um, cause it's so low pressure, you know, yeah. it's really nice when you're like, Oh, it's fine. It's just my notes app. It's no big deal. I'm not even wasting paper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that too. I, so yeah. So when Nolan and I were talking about this, uh, a number of weeks ago now, because I haven't recorded for a while, but, um, we were talking about how, there's something meditative uh, and something that causes you to think about just how long it takes to write by hand. Um, However, the flip side of that, that I hadn't considered that I'm now thinking about given your answer is how that might, to use your words, freak you out as a writer. Um, Because I, I think this is something where like, maybe this is an issue I have sometimes when I'm writing by hand is like, I end up writing like four or five drafts of everything by hand just because I get halfway through a draft and I'm like, wait, I want to change this restart. Mm -hmm. And I get really in my head about it. Uh, Whereas when I used to write on my phone in the notes app, which was a while ago for me, I haven't used the notes app for a while, but um, it did indeed, it felt really low pressure. Like, and that I think is really conducive for a lot of people. So maybe it's what we need personally as writers. I mean, of course, that's what it is. uh, What Mm -hmm. drives us to make these decisions about how we write, but At the same time, uh, it may be just what a poem needs too. you know, maybe if I need to revise something, I'm spending more time on it, you know, by hand. Um, Whereas, you know, on on a notes app, it's so quick to edit things and move things around. That's why for me, I mean, my process, I probably talked about this in the last episode, but my process would just be, you know, try writing by hand. Once you get the first draft out, then I go onto a computer because I can edit things a lot quicker. Mm. Um, Just like logistically seems to make more sense to me. but at the same time, then, yeah, I wonder, like, what poems need and, and how that impacts our, our choices. But I, I do agree that there's something that I hadn't thought about until just a second. So it's a new thought. Um, something really, I can't think of the right word, but pressury about mm-hmm. sitting down at a desk with a pen and paper and oh. being like, I'm going to no. crank out a poem right now. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> so that doesn't work for me. I, I have to be struck by something and I have to happen to have a notebook nearby and then I'm writing. Um, So perhaps I need to go back to the notes app and and try that out. And I probably will in the next couple of weeks, but yeah, there's something really pressury about that. Isn't there? I absolutely. And honestly, I feel like this is, this is the kind of thing that people don't talk about enough. Well, I don't, maybe this is not an issue in other people's writing practice, (laughs) but in my writing practice, minimizing my own freak out is the Mm. absolute number one like my whole job is just managing myself so that I can get 
the words out and send them out to whoever is going to publish them. Like that's, I wish it, (laughs) it's so, it's so complicated, but it's funny because I end up with all these hacks, right? I'm also a nerd, like a neurodivergent writer. I have ADHD and I'm on the spectrum. And um, so I, I really, uh, I really have to, I get bored easily and I, and Mm. I uh, abandon projects easily, which I consider to be a huge strength in my writing career. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I find the thing is like, I abandon things so easily. Um, but I always, but they're never truly abandoned. Like they, they remain in me in some capacity. Um, and then they get incorporated into the next project. So I don't think I've ever lost anything really good. But it does mean mm. that I've, I haven't wasted my time trying to polish something that's not going to end up being a thing. I have an easy time moving on to the next shiny object. Um, and it's worked out pretty well. You know, it's, it's funny you describe that as a strength. I think a lot of people would uh, see that, you know, the other way. But, but for me being able to drop a project, not even fully drop a project, but to be able to say, I'll come back to this later, or, you know, have the feeling and relationship it sounds like you might have with your work uh, is something that I really envy. I wish I could do that because I find myself chasing, you know, I spent X amount of hours on this manuscript. I'm going to make it into something that will be productive and useful. Um, And that's like a feeling that I have that I think I owe to, like, I, I feel like I owe something to myself for having already invested all this time in this project like well past andrew would be pissed off if he knew that you know (laughs) this isn't gonna go anywhere um so i fight that feeling too it's it's a really weird balance and it's funny how i i don't think we talk about this enough you're probably right it's funny how we get in our in our own ways in terms of our um sort of i guess mental approach to how we write and mm-hmm. how we can inhibit our own progress and our and our own writing in that way. It's it's weird though because I do feel stronger attachments to certain pieces that I've written, whether they're stronger pieces or not. Um, I don't know how we form those attachments or or what goes into that. But it's it's so fascinating to to hear, uh, and I I really appreciate hearing too because uh, it's rare I think for somebody to be able to say, well, I can leave a project, and actually that's a really good strength. Absolutely. I think it's it's so important for us to know ourselves as humans and as writers. Um, and I think if, if we find ourselves like, you know, hitting ourselves over the head with advice, like, oh my gosh, I need to get up at five and do my writing, just like <laughs> Ernest Hemingway or whoever did that, whatever. Um, you can do that. But I, for me, it's really, I find it really important to keep my keep my eye on the the actual prize which is writing things that are awesome you know I just want to write things and then read them again and be like yes I wrote that that's awesome (laughs) you know and I might change my mind in a couple weeks I might I might learn and grow and look back and be embarrassed about it but um but that's what I want to do and so sometimes that involves like yeah I ditch things um but we all have our own, we all have our own like mechanisms that are useful and mechanisms that are not so useful. I've been teaching and, and coaching writers for almost as long as I've been writing myself and always like the advice is, has to be different for each person. Like the first thing mm-hmm. I always do is, is ask about 
people's predilections regarding, I'm like, are you the type of person, this is a question I'll ask people, are you the type of person who will stick with one story, say if you're a short story writer, for a really long time and just keep going back and back and back and making it perfect and perfect and perfect, or are you the person who never finishes anything? Usually people are one of those two people. The advice I that I give people if they st- are really sticky with their work is to abandon something and start something fresh or, or put the put the, not real abandonment, but put them in a folder and put them in a drawer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't burn anything. It's fine. <laughs> um, but for the people who are often abandoning their work, I, I will give the advice of, okay, you do need to finish something. Finish something so you can send it out. Hmm. Interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to uh, steal some free writing advice from you there by figuring out which of those two parties I would belong to. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle, but I, I do uh, think right now, at least, I've been working on the same project for quite a while. Maybe it is time I need to start something new. I don't know. Don't, well, uh, don't abandon anything on my account. Keep going okay. as long as you're going. But if, it, if, yeah. you, if, we're ever, like, if there's suffering, there's something wrong, and there's usually a better way to do it. That's my mm. motto, I think. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to think about that. I'll put the lighter away. I won't burn anything, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. Um, Jacqueline, we're about halfway through here. Uh, would it be possible to get you to read another poem for us? Absolutely. Um, the next poem I want to read is called Ventilation, which sort of it works well with our conversation because this this one is very much about like some, some more difficult aspects of parenthood. Um, so I'm going to jump in. Ventilation. When you make fire, you have to keep making fire or everything will get damp. One day your mother won't save you. One day you'll be alone with all your babies and no checks in the mail. You'll cook chicken legs like your mother did. You'll be afraid like your mother was. One day there'll be no one in your kitchen but you. Nothing left but a ceiling fan. Nothing left but damp feet under a ceiling fan. Your children will come inside and you'll feed them. You'll only hurt them in ways you can't possibly control. You'll hyperventilate, but only when the sun's up. At night, the sky is so black, you feel swallowed and happy. Especially with your seatbelt on tight especially with the car drifting. An in-breath is every mother's favorite sound. But your mother's not here, so the moon follows you home. Uh, another one that I had uh, dog-eared as a favorite, so this is great. You're on a roll. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, uh, as soon as I knew that you were going to read this poem, which was just a minute ago, um, about a couple of things. And so one thing that I was wondering about um, how do I phrase this question? I think what I'm going for is there's a lot going on in this poem. I, mm-hmm. You've got a lot of different uh, concepts and metaphors and ideas and things all tangled together. Um, not really tangled, but woven. I think tangled is what my first draft would look more like. Um, mm-hmm. but, but woven together in a way that I really appreciate. And I suppose what I'm asking to stick with that tangling and weaving metaphor is how do you work these things into a woven pattern? How do you make them 
you know, you've got the breathing imagery going on, you have all of the motherhood discussion going on. These things, of course, are connected. Um, We have the idea of lineage and things being passed on almost from mother to mother, um, or mother to daughter, that then becomes Mm. mother, Um, you know, all these things. And so there's so much going on in this poem. How do you sort it out? How do you make it all work so nicely together? Oh, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I write in such an intuitive way that if I look back at it and I, I could, I could analyze this poem academically and I could say, okay, well, here's the fire and dampness and here's those two things. And, um, and, and there's all of these different themes and different things going together. And I can see how there's, there's this sort of, there's a logic to it. Like it seems like a poem that somebody sat down and really figured out, you know, and Mm -hmm. I didn't figure it out. It just, I wrote and it, emerged not complete like but it emerged as as a free writing and that I then chipped away at by deleting lines until these lines resonated with one another and I I go Mm. based on a feeling that I get in my body when a line is in the right place and I get a different feeling in my body when the line is in the wrong place and um, that that kind of discernment is based on cultivating it for a long time and failing miserably many times. I think I've <laughs> asked that question to many people before, and most of them have given a very similar answer in that, you know, there is very little explicable rhyme or reason to how we weave these things together. Um, but there is what past guests have described as a vibe, uh, an mm-hmm. intuition uh, to it that that makes it possible as a writer. Um, what bothers me then, as somebody who is constantly asking this question to writers, mm-hmm. is now I don't know how to employ that. But it's a very valid answer because I think if I were asked the same question, I'd say the same thing. Um, it, it's it's possible to, yeah, like you said, maybe academically analyze your own work, but it's really hard to say how you wrote it, what you were thinking, all these things, because I don't know how you feel when you're, when you're writing a poem, but for me, I, I feel like I'm just in another zone and, uh, and something else is going on. And then I wake up at the end and Hey, there's a poem, uh, which makes it, which makes it really hard to say, this is how I did it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a, it's a sort of, mystical experience really um i know if i'm gonna look at it from like a scientific point of view i i I read about how it works when you practice things and how you might start off practicing and practicing and practicing and, and you're using your conscious mind and you're working so hard and i and the first couple of years that i that i spent trying to learn how to write poetry i could tell you how i wrote each of those poems because i really thought hard and I don't think that you can go, I don't think that you can get away from that because you can't skip ahead to not thinking. The only mm-hmm. way to move forward is to start by thinking and then eventually you realize you're not thinking anymore. And then you realize, okay, well, what if I start thinking a little bit? Okay, that helps. And now I'm thinking too much. It's all experimentation. And I, and um, yeah, but it's truly magical when, when it, when it works, you know, when you can dance with it, when you can realize that you're not in control of it, you're not 
you know, it's not you. You're the mm. channel. You're you're like the you are you are what it emerges from and and I I see my role as making myself as good of a channel as possible. Interesting. So again we come back to a kind of idea of you know, how we can almost inhibit ourselves as writers and how we can, I, I don't know, I don't want to say this is your experience, but it's certainly mine, how we can often overthink as writers. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it comes back again to this idea of almost regulating how involved we get in the process. Because I agree, I really like this idea of being sort of like a channel for the poetry to come through or the writing to come through if you're writing in another form. Um, and, and for me, I think that's often the case. And what I'm starting to develop, I mean, I've only been writing for six or seven years, which for me feels like an eternity, but for a lot of people is like, wow, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think I'm starting to very slowly develop is an understanding of when a poem needs me and when mm. a poem is asking me to get the heck out of the way. Uh, because both happen, you know, equally often. It's it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, when you're supposed to get involved and when you're not do you is that something you feel the same way about totally figuring out when to stop is key and and I think that like for me that really does come down to those those kind of bodily sensations those like intuitive senses that I that I have acquainted myself with within myself and so it's I don't know if other people experience it in the same way but for me that's what it's like. It's like there, there is this little sensation, which is like, okay, back off. Don't keep mm. going. Um, early on, I think I, I think I stopped too soon sometimes. Like I ended poems before they should have ended. Cause I was so nervous about, I was like, oh my gosh, it's done. Wow. You know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to jinx it by adding, like by adding more. Now I can be a little bit more flexible. My poems are getting longer. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating. I, it the weird thing about what we do is like it's it's art, but the thing that we're using to make art is words. So it's like we're using language, which is such a logical, uh, conscious mind thing, and we're using that to make art, which is a an illogical, unconscious mind thing. No right. pressure. So these, right. So yeah. Like no big yeah. Deal. Yeah. So these <laughs> things are always in conversation with one another, and at the same time conflicting with one another. And that that conflict is maybe where the poem emerges from. Uh, it's it's very difficult at times to yeah to put you know something like language that is often methodical uh, into something that is really hard to describe. And artistic practice is like always difficult. I mean, I'm having trouble today. Uh, I don't know how you're, you're doing. Great. About I, I feel like I, I feel like I, I always have trouble describing exactly what art is or what an artistic practice is or something so grand like that. But I I find it interesting to think about how these things are at odds with one another. Um, so I really like this idea too. Um, but okay, we we keep we're talking about some really cool stuff, and I'm really enjoying it. But I feel like we got to talk about your book a little more because I really enjoyed the book. All so right. we're gonna loop back in. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, remember that thing we were talking about? Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, there were a couple other things that I was really interested in. So motherhood is obviously a big theme in here. We talked about the book as being sort of like this garden idea, and I I specifically likened that to the idea of walking through and not being sure what you're gonna find, but then you know being surprised by the pleasant things that you do find. Um, a lot of the material in here, though, I say pleasant things as in enjoyable to read uh, for me, because a lot of what's in here is, is um, you know, dark material or harder material to 
think and write through. And so maybe I'll loop this into the context of what we've been talking about, you know, in terms of how we let's, I'll use the word, get in the way of, our, of ourselves uh, as writers and, and how it can often be hard to think through experiences and, and know when to step in or step back. What we've been talking about so far in that sense. Um, how, how do you feel your relationship to that conflict was when you were writing a lot of these poems? Because, you know, as I say, they're, they're heavier poems at times, um, but we're coming out of them with you know, what I've described very uh, plainly as something enjoyable. So as a writer, you're walking into this poem, this space that can be a little bit heavier. Do you find yourself stepping back from the poem in that in that sense and, and being the channel and letting the poem come through? Or do you find yourself getting quite involved uh, in, in these sort of heavier pieces? Because that's where I often struggle. Mm. Yeah, well, some of them, like some of the the darker pieces, which I... I or heavier ones, which I would include ventilation in. Um, mm -hmm. I, I consider that to be quite a sad, heavy poem. And I wrote, I wrote that poem. I, I wrote a suite of them um, in the midst of a of a very bad depression, like a t like the worst depression and um, like an anxious depression. So the kind where I was I was deeply, deeply, deeply afraid. Um, mm. And so I found creativity to be very difficult at that point. But on the on the bright side of it, I found it very easy to be brutally honest, you know. Hmm. And so, um, I guess, I guess it's a matter of like I don't think detachment is the right word, but because it's not it's not that I get detached from my feelings, but it's more like I like to experiment with the vantage point from which I am looking at things. I mm. like to experiment with imagining like, okay, imagine I'm looking at this from, from, you know, a satellite orbiting earth and I'm just all snuggled up in there, you know, and there, and, um, and that's, that's, that can be a, a, a perspective to look from. Um, it's hard. It's very, it's very hard because you want to tell the truth. And when you do this work, you, you realize that the truth requires, requires um, sweeping away things that aren't real, things that aren't true. It requires sweeping away your ego and your, your hopes and dreams that you're, that you're not going to have to face all of the pain. And, you know, it's, it's just so real. It's, it's, it's the process of making a life out of your life, you know, turning your raw experiences into something, something that you can actually hand to somebody and then have them maybe understand what was going on in your head, even if you didn't mm. understand it at the time. I feel like I've gone off on a tangent, but um, no, you're like that. <laughs> no, you're, you're hitting a lot of things that are familiar to me. I, I think um, there's something about, I mean, you talked about having gone through a, a particular episode of, of an anxious depression, um, anxiety and depression, both huge parts of my life, and, and I think play a huge role inevitably then in, in my writing practice. Um, but so often the, the link between my writing mindset and my depressive mindset that I find to be 
semi-productive at times. Um, you you said almost putting things plainly or, or recognizing things as they are comes out of that. For me, it feels at times like cutting through the bullshit. Like I, I feel like I'm I'm getting straight to, yeah, the, the truth that you're talking about and being like, okay, well now we're actually discussing things that matter. The difficulty yeah. then comes from getting somebody into that mindset with you as a writer um, and saying, you know, hey, reader, we're going to talk about this really difficult thing now. You know, we can start with uh, a really small image and grow to that point. There's, there's a ton of different ways that you could approach that. But getting to that point, I think, is it's weird because it, it comes out of that that mindset, that depressive mindset for me sometimes. But at the same time, it feels like a truth, like what you're talking about it and what matters and why I want to write. Um, and so in some ways it, it can be, it feels so weird to say productive to be depressed at times, mm. maybe, I don't know. Um, but, but I think this is, this is what I'm pulling from your answer there is just that, you know, you're, you're cutting down to what matters in, in your writing at times with, with these heavier things. I mean, if something is so impactful on your life, whether it's positive, negative, heavier, light, it's hard not to think about it often and so it's going to trickle into your writing it's going to it's going to seep through and be written about whether it's heavy or lighter whatever it doesn't matter it's impactful and i think as writers all we're trying to do or at least all i'm trying to do won't put words in your mouth or anybody else's um is impact people and make them feel the same impact that we felt um i don't know that's what i pull from that <laughs> yeah no i i really love i love um i love hearing your reflection on that um yeah, I, depression. It's so fascinating because I often say that I'm I'm incredibly grateful for my my mental health challenges, which I've had my entire life. Um, and at the same time, like it's it's so, like the the level of pain is so like it is so pain. You can't just mm-hmm. like you can't describe that pain, right? It's so intense, but it does it is productive in the way that it allows you or, or it it can allow you. It forces, it forced me to stop everything that was not absolutely essential because I couldn't get up, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, like I couldn't do any of the things that my ego had considered to be so important anymore because I couldn't. And it was my body in some ways rebelling against a path that was wrong for me. Um, and so, you know, a nice, like a mental breakdown every now and again, it does clear things out, you know, and it gives you a fresh start occasionally. <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, I'm, you know, kind of joking around about it, but I, but I am, I am really, truly grateful for those experiences in my life and also the ability to to look at something like motherhood from a wide variety of perspectives. And, you know, I look at my daughter and I just think, oh my God, like she's just the most perfect, wonderful. Like I could just stare at her all day. Like the love <laughs> that I have for her is, is like, like I could, I would lift cars, you know? Um, but, and then there's also the other side of it, which is like, oh my God, I'm so depressed and I feel so guilty because I need like, like I have, I have to force myself to get out of bed to go and take care of this baby, and I have to smile and be a good mother. You know, it's so hard to be a good mom, which in our culture is considered like it's a really, really high bar for goodness. Yeah. You know, 
And it's yeah. hard to face that when you're also trying to save yourself. So hard. Right. And, and I'm grateful that I had that experience and that I wrote about it and that it's in this book and that people want to read about it or, or, or might want to read about it. You know, it's, it, I can't ask for anything more I think, epic than that, you know? Yeah, I I think there's something there. I look, I don't I don't have any experience of motherhood. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a mom. I don't I don't know what it's like. But I I think I can what resonates with me from what you're saying there is, you know, that when you go through something like the experiences that you write about in this book and and that some of these poems stem from, I think there is there's a reset. I I really like that idea of, you know, reevaluating in those moments what matters right now. And oftentimes those are the only things that matter, not just in that moment, but beyond. Uh, and, and so it can often be really helpful. I mean, you talked about shifting perspective as a writer and, and thinking about things and looking at things in new ways. Uh, it can be very, very refreshing or I, I don't know. There's, there's something about going through those experiences that cause you to reconsider and shift your perspective in a way that can be very helpful. It can also be detrimental at times, you know, and I'm not trying to say, you know, depression is great. Everybody go, go get oh, depressed. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> get no. Some. no, yeah, no. The, the point is, you know, out of these moments, something does grow if you allow it. And if you, if you look for it, and I, I think there's something valuable there as a writer um, that, for me, and it sounds like potentially for you as well, has really impacted the way that I view writing and, and the reason that I come to writing as a medium. Um, yeah, there's there's something there that's that's quite important. I think um, it's important too. And I, and I think it's important that we have a sense as writers of what it is we're actually doing here. Like, are we trying to perform the social role of writer in society? Are we trying to just like check things off a list? Of like, mm. okay, I'm going to have a book. I'm going to have a chat book. I'm going to do this. Like those things are fun and important and great. I like, I am so grateful for my career. Um, but again, going back to the, to the freak outness, um, if that was, if, if I was writing solely to, to fit in in that way or receive accolades or whatever, it would be very difficult because those things aren't consistent necessarily. Um, and I think it's really beneficial for me to have the perspective on, on my writing that what I'm doing is um, sort of like this alchemical thing where I'm taking what's inside me, I'm turning it into something that is useful for the world, that could be good for the world in some way, you know, even if only one person read it or, or even just if my own daughter read it later, even if it was mm. just her. Um, it feels like utility and it feels like, like, I know, I know that it's important to me because when I was in the depths of that depression, all I was doing was trying my absolute, like I had family support helping me with mothering. And so I, all I was doing was like trying to spend as much time with my daughter as I could. I was lying in bed and watching episode, like reruns of Dr. House, you know, that (laughs) show I watched the whole thing. It's not that great. You know, I watched that and I worked on this book somehow. Mm. And those were the only things I did. And and I know that, I know that that's, I know that that's big. Doc, the you know, Dr. We, House part was not important, but you know, <laughs> 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 I had to fill the hours. 
<laughs> no, everybody, everybody has that show, you know. Um, but but I feel like there's something here, and this will probably be the last thing I'll say before we ask you for a question and and move towards things because I'm I'm aware of the time here. But um, there's nothing quite like poetry in that, or being a poet or trying to be a poet in that you will spend hours, days, months, years working at something where recognition may never come where five people might read it if you're lucky, mm-hmm. and that might be the best it gets. Uh, but if you can impact those five people, that's what it's all about. Um, so there's something, you know, like we've talked about how a depression or how a mental health challenge can cause you to reevaluate things. I think there's something to just being a writer, being a poet, who's trying to do these things where you're like, well, okay, what am I doing this for? At right. some point in those hours, days, months, years, you're going to sit down, pick up a pen probably to write on paper because it takes longer like we were talking about yeah. and be like, why the heck am I at my desk right now trying <laughs> to do this? You know, there, there's something that'll come up. So so there's something there too, I think, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I promised we'd get to it. I have to ask for a question from you, Jacqueline, for my next episode's guest. Yes. Okay. So, so here is my question to the mystery poet. Do you have a complicated relationship with any of your poems? Which one and why? Okay. Uh, now I do this mean thing where I turn the question around and ask <laughs> I you now. I okay, figured cool. you might so, do that. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a complicated relationship with any of your, your poems or projects or anything like that? Uh, if so, which ones and why? Well, yes, I do. I have a complicated relationship uh, with a lot of them. But um, for example, like I sometimes I I feel like the I feel like I have so little control over what the poem is. And sometimes poems come out of me that are so heavy and so like difficult in such a way um which I sorry I'm just trying to find it (laughs) oh yes climate apocalypse parenting tips is one that I found like I I have a complicated relationship with because it is such a such a sad poem it's like yes this is sad the climate is apocalypsing you know everything's awful um and then and then like the poem ends with the the speaker looking at her daughter like on this ferris wheel with her feet dangling you know and just wanting so badly for her for her daughter to have a good life when all of this difficult stuff is going on um Mm -hmm. so i think i think the complicated relationship i have with my work is that sometimes it is dark and sad and twisty and difficult um, and I want to, I want it to be light and fluffy, um, but it's not it's not always. Although sometimes it is. So yeah, I I think I've referenced this multiple times on the show. So if you're somehow a repeat listener, um, then I apologize. But um, you know, one of the things that impacted me most as a writer came from my non-writer grandmother. Uh, she told me, you know, I was telling her about how you know I've put work out before where I then, you know, a year or two later, look back and I'm like, why did I publish that? Like, is that really, mm-hmm. you know, A, my best work, B, what I want to represent me to the world? Um, and she said, you know, it may not be your best work. It may not be what represents you to the world, but it represents you in that moment. And somebody who reads that will be going through that same moment, hopefully, and, and encounter your work and something in there will resonate with them. So I think, you know, when we think about looking back at 
you know, say a darker poem that I wrote a year or two ago, uh, oftentimes I will also wish that, you know, maybe I'd written something a little lighter or something happier. Um, I'm definitely guilty of writing a sad poem or two. Um, but the reality is that somebody else will be in that mindset at some point. They might, mm-hmm. you know, somehow happen upon your poem and something in there may resonate with them. And I think, I think that's another thing that writing is all about. I don't know. I I totally agree. Totally. And, you know, that is, that is sort of what it's about, right? Is like, each poem maybe has its own, its own resonance that um, it will, it will connect with people. And that's why we do this. And we don't always have, we don't have control over it. Like we can't be like, okay, here's the poem. Everybody read it right now. You know, you sort of just have to put it out there and see if anyone wants to read it. And it's really, really nice and exciting and fun when they do. Yeah, it's a very cool feeling. I I have been very lucky to experience that once or twice, and it's it's the best. Um, okay, on that note, Jacqueline, the last thing I need from you before we take off for the day is one more reading. Could I get you to read us one more poem? Absolutely. I'm going to read a poem called The End. The End. My poems are eggshells made of the eggshells of other eggshells and birdhouses made from bones. I don't like weighing myself anymore, not after last time. My eyelashes keep falling in my soup. A sturgeon appears in silhouette on the moon. This is the life I want to live. I keep the window open. I'm not scared of bees. I think a baby might fix me. I guess what I'm wondering is how we keep breathing, if there have always been bodies in the streets. Today, maybe I'll just be direct. It won't be a fairy tale. I won't make it to the end of whatever this is. Wow. Another really cool poem. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, for reading that for us and for coming on the show today. I I really enjoyed chatting with you both about your book, although I feel like I you know, I wish I'd given it a little more time to talk about your, your book directly. We had a lot to discuss. It's all good. This (laughs) is so much fun. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I hope to have you back sometime soon and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. For sure. You too. There you go. That was me chatting with Jacqueline DeForge. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, we had a very open and kind of at times philosophical discussion about poetry, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we got as deep as we could into things uh, in, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. So I really enjoyed it. I've been thinking a lot over the past couple of weeks about what we chatted about, and um, I hope that the listeners will will have a similar reaction to, to what we chatted about. Um Of course, if you like what I'm doing here, you can make it official. All you have to do is subscribe to the show. You can do that on whatever app you're listening on, whatever site you're listening on. I think there's a way on most of them. So take a look, try and figure it out. Uh, If you can't, you can always just leave a review. That helps too. Uh, Reviews help other people who haven't listened to the podcast before find this podcast and in turn find the works of the poets that I'm talking to, which is, as you may know, the ultimate goal of the show. Uh, So it means the world when people leave reviews, good or bad, it doesn't matter. They're all helpful. (laughs) Although I do prefer the good, I will be honest. Um, Regardless, 
you can leave a review, you can subscribe, you can rate the show, do all of those fun things. Uh, and hopefully you will have those done before the next episode comes out in a couple of weeks. I've just recorded it the other day. Uh, I'm very excited about the guest and the episode. So a lot to look forward to there. If you enjoyed today's interview, you will enjoy the next one. But until then, of course, my name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench. And this, of course, this has been Page Fright. Mm-hmm.